Were you just going to waste away in that prison camp until they killed you for your body parts? Were you too frightened to act? I was looking for a way to escape. Looking! I'll show you the way to escape. Welcome back to Delta Flyer. I'm Thad Haight. And I'm Stuart Hollis. This week, we're talking about Season 1, Episode 14, Faces. Yes, we are talking about faces. <laughs> Our synopsis from TV Guide this is a long synopsis. Okay. An away team is captured by the Vidians, who extract Taurus's Klingon DNA in an effort to find a cure for a disease ravaging their people. But the process turns Torres into two people, one fully Klingon, one fully human. Yeah, that's way longer than it needs to be. Also passive voice. Yes. Memory Alpha does it much better, and more succinctly, in The Vidians capture Bellana Torres and split her into two people, one fully Klingon and one fully human. Split makes it sound like there was an axe involved. Hmm... Also, you don't know about the fully human one until, like, a third of the way through the episode. Right, and I was also going to say, although there were points when the chief Vidian surgeon came across a little chatty, I don't think that there was any axe involved. Although I did watch the trailer, the original UPN trailer for this episode, and mm -hmm. they, tell, they tell you right away that there are both, both of them are in it. Gotcha. Yes, and that's chatty as in like a Chad, and not chatty as in like a Kathy. So interestingly, uh, this episode uh, was directed by Vinrick Kolbe, who has directed many episodes of Star Trek. Uh, a lot of TNG, a lot of Voyager, a lot of DS9. Uh, but the story uh, that was by Kenneth Biller, but it was similar to an original pitch by a different author, so he also got a story credit. And that author is one that listeners of our other podcast, Stargate Weekly, are probably more familiar with, Jonathan Glasner. Yeah, no kidding. Yeah. Hmm. I didn't get any sort of vibes of any of that. The only similarity to his pitch is that Bellana gets split into two. Oh, Okay. But because he had pitched a story where Bellana gets split into two before Kenneth Biller came up with it, he got credit as well. Uh, Kenneth Biller was uh, actually started in writing stories for Voyager and ended up by the end of the series being an executive producer. So he was pretty important for Voyager. Uh, yeah, dang. Apparently, Jonathan Glasner's original plot was... Uh, there were these aliens obsessed with racial purity, and they put her through a machine. Ooh. That could have also been an interesting story. It could have. This one was an interesting story, but I really didn't like the episode. So, my compl my big complaint with this episode, and I do enjoy it mostly. Is it Neelix's hat? Well, there's Neelix's hat, yes. Oh, why must Neelix have a hat? But human Bolana is basically Bolana. Klingon Bolana is a different person entirely. I disagree. Okay. I'm not saying that human versus Klingon Bolana isn't also my complaint, but human Bolana is nothing like Bolana. It's she sums it up at the end of the episode where she as human Bolana has like never felt more at peace, but also that she's incomplete. I'm more at peace with myself than I've ever been before. 
And that's a good feeling. Because, and this is something that they like keep kind of like flirting with exploring, but I feel like they never, even after watching it twice, I didn't get the satisfaction that I was looking for in exploring this story. It's very upsetting. Not at all pleasurable. Yeah, I. they never really resolve that. Right. She says that at the end, and she's like, well, I guess we'll be at conflict, and then it seems like Chakotay is going to say something deep and profound, mm-hmm. and then he just walks away. Maybe about the god Janus. Mm. Mm. Yeah. Mm. For me... Like I said, I was just, I disagree with you about human Balana being just like regular Balana because no, she's incredibly meek. She barely confronts at all. She's the the technical side of Balana once she gets behind the alien console. So that's another thing. Mm-hmm. As far as technical skills and all that, they should be identical. Unless it was her dad who was more technical, therefore like her human parentage and like. There, people can be taught how to type. Not everyone can be taught to feel at home in front of a foreign, like in front of a computer. Okay, yeah, I guess in my mind I was thinking, well, that's not really a human versus Klingon thing, but it totally could be a father skills versus mother skills thing, and and I hadn't even thought of that. Well, parent one versus parent two. I mean. This morning, I had someone ask me, how do I print on this new computer? I can't find it. I can't find it. I can't find it. Oh, there it is. <laughs> yeah, I deal with stuff like that all the time. I respect that you do. And so like, that that's what I'm saying is like, like I said, everyone can be taught how to type, for example, or how to drive a car. But not everyone, even if they can be taught to change a spark plug, which is well, used to be dirt simple. Nowadays, it's behind like 15 layers of plastic or something. Um, or like underneath the engine, I'm sure, in some cars. Um, you know, it, that's not a hard thing to do. You need a you need a socket wrench. But it's being comfortable with it and being confident in your ability to figure out when you hit a snag. Just being like, okay, well, this is not going to go exactly according to plan. But I'm confident that I can make a new plan. So, human Balana is most like the Balana we know when she's behind the console trying to solve that problem. Every other moment, she's nothing like the Balana we know. She's empathetic. She has that fireside, self-referential moment on both sides, where she's like, look at us, we're arguing with ourselves, or something something to that effect. She is incredibly timid. The list goes on, whereas the Klingon Balana is her aggression, her like, straight, like, well, aggression in almost all forms, both, you know, they're like, did you know about Klingon's voracious sexual appetites? Uh, and just straight up, like, choking people out. But it's also her, and aggression's the wrong word here, but, uh, like, directness or, like, willingness to just, like, jump straight to solving any other problem that isn't behind a keyboard like their their confidence in every other aspect yeah all right so yeah okay yeah i can i I can see where you're coming from I, i it bothers me i feel like they shouldn't be as different as they are yes obviously klingons and humans are not the same thing and there are certain traits that are are evident more in Klingons and certain traits that are evident more in humans. But these two people have the exact same 
life experiences up to this point. Mm-hmm. I'm thinking nurture should play a much bigger factor. There, they should be different. Yes, Klingon Balana would probably have more of a temper, etc. But they should not be two completely different people. They should be very similar. How many Klingon nursemaids do we see? We do see at least one. Okay. Why? Well, because it's maybe nurture doesn't play a role in Klingon development. <laughs> no, we do actually meet Worf's nursemaid in an episode of TNG. Okay, and is she like super meek and not ready to skin a patak with a batlet? You patak? I mean, she's not meek, but she's not like killing people left and right or anything. Well, neither is Worf. Not left and right, mostly left. Eh. I don't know, it just it just feels to me that they should be much more similar than they actually are. Hmm. I can agree with you on that front. Uh and I think that this is like the story kind of falling down, not not spending more time exploring the two sides of the one true Balana's personality. Mm. It feels like Lieutenant, well, he's dead now. So um, that's another thing I want to talk about. Got like way more screen time than what I was actually after, which was in the same way that, that the in the same way that the Vidians were after the meaty insides of Lieutenant name Durst. Durst. I was after the meaty in- insides of the story of Bolana's two halves. Why was Durst introduced last episode and given, like, actual stuff to do if they were just going to kill him off this episode? Maybe during the filming of the last episode, they're like, hey, you know who we don't actually like after all? (laughs) That's why I was wondering if it was a contest winner. We had this whole conversation last week. Yes. But... Just given, like, how much extra screen time this guy got and, like, these, like, weird, like, close-up lines of, Captain, the shields. It was weird. Fun fact, Durst is the first crewman death that we know of after Caretaker. Ah, the first confirmed death in the Delta Quadrant. Yeah. I mean, not counting Harry Kim. (laughs) You have to wonder if there's, like... If if Janeway just has like a long running uh, eulogy prepared for Harry Kim and she just updates it <laughs> periodically, that's possible. Start at twenty four eleven seventeen. I realize that's too many numbers. Today we mourn the passing of Harry. Never mind. Also, the start dates start with four. Forty seven eleven. Shut up. <laughs> well, they start with four now. Later in the show, they'll start with five. Uh, another thing I want to talk about. I'm gonna bring up rank pips again. Durst is wearing full lieutenant's rank pips, and yet somehow Paris, who is wearing lieutenant junior grade rank pips, we've just, we just talked about that, how now Paris uh, mysteriously became lieutenant junior grade where he will stay. Mm-hmm. And yet Paris is the senior officer? Lieutenant J.G. Bridge Crew outranks lieutenant non-bridge crew? I mean, Paris is presumably the head of his department, so if Durst was responding to him in a navigational way, then he Harris would be at Paris would be in charge, but it just seems strange to me. Okay, so let's 
cogitate on this for a second. Not the rank thing, but the department thing. So Paris is the Helms person. Yes. And I guess navigator or something. Yeah, they don't have a separate navigator. I still feel like they should have Thomas. it or like the like have the computer do the job. Anyway. So Oh, I definitely think the computer should do it. I think it could I think the computer should do most of the jobs. Uh the computer could do yeah, like eighty percent of what these people were doing could probably be done by the computer. Yeah, let you know, look at the doctor. Let the rest of them just, you know, science real hard and hollow and like hollow deck the rest of the time. I mean this isn't whatever. So Paris is driving the ship. He's the one we see driving the ship nine times out of ten. Mm-hmm. Do they keep a twenty four hour clock on Starfleet vessels? If yes, I guess they have three shifts they do have three shifts or at least we talk about three shifts on tng and and they Presumably, also yes on tng they actually at one point um when senator kinsey is the captain for two episodes um yes he forces them to change to a four shift rotation because reasons hmm. and that so it's probably it depends like there's you know, latitude, like a captain can choose however, but yes, presumably there are usually at least three shifts, because they're not going to make them work, they're not going to make them work 12-hour days. Assuming they have 24-hour days, we don't even know that. And that's what, that, that's why I was asking. But then, so I guess they have at least three different people who helm the ship, probably closer to four. Do they work seven days a week? Do they have seven-day weeks? <laughs> Uh, yeah, that never how, comes up. Like, how, how do these things work? We only ever see the prime crew. Yeah, but yeah, you know, I'm the thinking one of that like gets uh, me is we see in the future, like like sometimes Harry will just be in ch- will be in command during the night shift. Right. Does that mean he's also then just you know going to move over to the operations console for another shift come morning? Or yeah, yeah. Was he working a double? Yeah. Does it then get, like, extra holodeck hours or something? Yeah, I don't know. This is, it, uh, I could definitely do with some, uh... I could do with a logistics of Star Trek book. I would be all about that. Uh, yeah, like, where's Starfleet HR in mm. all of this? I mean, we are, we've already established there's no OSHA. Have we established... No, we established there was no OSHA on Stargate. I thought we had... Uh, I thought... Well, the Gould had no OSHA. I, presumably there is OSHA for Star... <laughs> Gould. The Gould have no OSHA. We're getting a lot of Stargate in our Star Trek this yeah, episode. Yeah, presumably this... there is OSHA at Cheyenne Mountain because it's an American facility. Right. Okay, so let's talk about this episode. Yes. Because this is fun, but... <laughs> the first time that we see the Vidians, it's because we were chasing Dilithium. Yes. And what it actually was was that it was like all the Vidian equipment, which is dilithium powered or something. That didn't happen again this time. There was no mention of it at all. No, it was magnesite this time. Yeah, is which is a thing. It's happened. It's shown up multiple times in different episodes. I knew that was going to be your next question. Yeah. So instead, we have the Vidian force field caves or whatever. Mm-hmm. Uh, where they have the the idea of them using slave labor to expand their minds that you know that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. And we meet Neelix's cousin. Yes, it was cool to meet another Talaxian. 
Yes. I had thought it was Talaxian, but like as soon as I said that, I'm like, no, 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 that was Dr. Flox. But he's not Talaxian. He's the a... Uh, that's it. I think it was the X that was throwing me, you know? Talaxian, hmm. Flox, there's Xs. Mm. There's also Ls. Yeah, no one cares about Ls. So, when they're in the caves, mm-hmm. we're talking about with Tuvok, Chakotay, and Harry. Yes. In the caves. And they're following the path of their people with their tricorders. What are they following? Evidence of people, because then Tuvok finds evidence of more people. I detect traces of at least five humanoid life forms. Also, that tricorder got the crap beaten out of it. Yeah, I was wondering if this was our first group of heroes form of breadcrumbs. Well, breadcrumb, really, if it's just a tricorder. So why doesn't the tricorder broadcast a signal, like the communicator, when it gets damaged? <laughs> I don't know, because uh, 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 up until I'm still wondering, like, what like, what are they following with the tricorders? Like, what I I recognize that you know, living beings do give off a residue, as Gross. it were, as they pass through an area. But what I feel like most of that should have dissipated. Uh, did can the tricorders smell? <laughs> I don't know. Well, if it can smell, I, Paris, I'm sure, wears some sort of ridiculous cologne. Yes. I mean, like, Dracar Noir or something. And is super insensitive to human Bolana's plight. Yeah. Okay, yeah. So when Bolana is uh, opening up and, and mentioning that when she was a kid, she always tried to do everything she could to hide her forehead, Paris is like, yeah, I used to wear a hat when my dad maybe had a bad haircut. Not the same thing, buddy. Not even close. Uh, yeah, and then, like, the last thing he says to her, which is, uh, I-, I guess you finally got what you wanted? Yeah. That's worse than Chicote not saying anything. Yes. You know, Paris saying things is usually worse than saying nothing. That's also true. I'm, yeah, I, you know, I'm really looking forward to the time in, like, three seasons when Paris finally becomes a decent person. Well, hopefully he does. Maybe we're just remembering it with rose-colored glasses or something. That could also be true. I mean, I didn't hate Chakotay in this episode once again, so I feel like, yeah, I, like, going into this, I remembered liking Paris and being ambivalent about Chakotay, but I've generally enjoyed Season 1 Chakotay, and I have not enjoyed Season 1 Paris at all. I've not enjoyed Season 1 Paris at all. I fluctuate between being ambivalent about Chakotay and being like, oh, hey. Yeah, that's fair. I think it's viewing it through the lens of a that they hadn't quite fully gotten a handle on who the char- like what characters are doing what, but then also Jacote is like the ship's anthropologist, and so when they have opportunities for some anthropology stuff, Jacote steps up and he's like, "Some ancient cultures studied ancient cultures." <laughs> yeah, that's fair. So I presume that. While they were going to find organ processing, Paris told Chakotay that, well, that the Klingon part of Bolana had been removed, because Paris didn't even know there was a Klingon Bolana. But it seemed like no one was surprised that there was both a human and a Klingon Bolana when they meet up there. And they never, like, had the discussion about Durst. Nope. Even when, even when Vadin Durst, like, pops up, they're not like, oh my god! Uh, they just, like, roll with it, which is weird as well. Yes. So, 
do you think that was I'm wondering how they did the makeup for for that one. It if was it actually was... the the same actor played Durst also played the D and Durst both pre and post Durst face. Yeah, that's kind of what I, what where I thought it was and he was just like using a voice for the Vidian. Yeah. Cuz it didn't quite sound like him. Uh but I was pretty sure that's what it was happening. Cuz otherwise that was some fantastic like fit just like superb uh like makeup and mask work. This episode did get nominated for an Emmy for its makeup. That makes sense. Although admittedly most of the time it looks like they just like grabbed a trowel of mud and just like threw it at the person's face. It lost to Deep Space Nine, actually. Ah. Although, in the age of, well, in this case, DVD rips, it, you can clearly see the line between where Klingon Polana's uh, hair-slash-wig ends and face prosthetics and makeup begin. Yes. Yes, you can. Like, super clearly. And you can also tell those that were not her real teeth. And you can also hear that they're not her real teeth. Yes. Klingon Polana definitely had some trouble with diction. Yes. Although at first it felt like it was intentional, almost as if Klingons speaking English is difficult for them. Yeah. Well, because that is actually a pretty standard thing. The only Klingon who doesn't sound like that when he talks is Worf. Well, no, what about um, Gorn? Gorn doesn't sound like that. Gorn? Not Gorn. The bug eye guy. Martok. No, not Martok. No. No, no, Galron. 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 No, Galron has his own, like, voice, though. He's got a, like, a, that... He has a very distinctive voice. It's not about the voice. It's about talking like this. Yeah, that's true. No, he doesn't. And Martok doesn't as bad, but it is there a little bit. Uh, yeah, it, it seems, like, you know, for the high-ranking Klingons that we see who interact with humans on a regular basis, they are they sound like anyone else for whom English is not their first language. Yeah, that's true. When when Tony Todd is Worf's brother, he sounds like that too. Right. Whereas like this thing, it it's like they don't know how to form the words with their mouth. Like they know what the words are and what they need to sound like, but they're trying to figure out how to like make their mouth make yeah. those sounds that's what i was coming across to me and if that was intentional on anyone's part that's awesome and if it wasn't sillies yes so there was some type of force field there was some well, did they say type and not kind they said type ah, so that's do a we, shame yeah do we count that no i don't think we do or do we only count when balana said that it made her into some kind of a coward. They turned me into some kind of a coward. I think we can count that. Yes. Which again was like flirting with the uh, like the like the separation of her being that she needs both to be her and although she when younger was happy to hide the ridges, she has to accept that this is who she is and we just get none of that yeah there just didn't seem to be much of a resolution at all so interestingly not there was never a split screen used for the uh balana meets balana scenes oh they managed to find a double who looked exactly like roxanne dawson well 
how exactly did she have to look like Roxanne Dawson under the makeup? Well, when Roxanne Dawson was speaking as Klingon Balana, she had to look pretty darn exact when she was playing human Balana. No, well, um, the double would have been. I assume the double was Klingon Balana. Not when Klingon Balana was speaking. I had well, no, because they could have just like done like a voiceover or something. Yes. Are you saying they didn't do a voiceover? Uh, there's not nothing that says because there's a point where they have a conversation with each other, <laughs> so it doesn't matter how it doesn't matter how how like how like how similar the double looked if they don't sound the same they have a conversation. Yeah, it doesn't say. I'm um, I'm going with the double was under the Klingon makeup and they voiced over. Yeah, I guess that makes more sense. I mean they they may have also had uh they may have also had Roxanne Dawson. And like with the, the 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 fake teeth, to to get it right, mm. but and maybe it was her in the Klingon makeup most of the time. It was, but when it's the, yeah, but like when it's the, like you know like on the on the transporter pad in the lab around the fire, I assumed the double was in the makeup, and I also assumed they did a voiceover because it was definitely her voice. Hmm. Yes, no, it was definitely her. She was the one doing all the speaking. Yes. But yeah, it, that was a that was a double. That was not uh that was not a split screen, so that helped them in their production quite a bit. Yes. I mean, I guess that's easier. According to this, it was easier. Yeah, I mean, I mean, I suppose nowadays Nowadays, no. It probably would have been easier just to use a split screen. Yeah. You know, any kid with a with a MacBook and Final Cut can uh, or After Effects can just do that now. Yeah, but back then it was considerably harder. Yes. Oh, we did get our answer. They do eat meat, or at least Klingon Balana eats meat when she can find it and put it on a stick and make a fire. Right. That doesn't actually answer our question. No, because human Balana didn't want to eat the meat. So. Human Balana didn't want to do a lot of things. I'm not going to chalk that up to Starfleet vegetarian sensibilities. Sure, but you can't chalk this up to Starfleet does eat meat either. <laughs> no, no, no. But it is the first mention of meat at all, even a little bit, on the show. Speaking of food, we should mention the Kling- the Klingon- the Neelix Tuvok soup soup. Yes, I was... Uh, yes. Mention it. Uh, well, it's just standard Neelix Tuvok scene, really. It, it, it sums up Neelix and Tuvok pretty well. Their whole relationship throughout the seven years. I, I definitely enjoyed Tuvok's witty comment that if you're making food to be a taste of home and you change it, it's no longer a taste of home. I must point out that if you take the liberty of changing a time-honored recipe, you are hardly presenting a taste of home. And Neelix in that stupid hat. I hadn't realized that it was pronounced piquant. How did you think it was pronounced? Pequint. Hmm, okay. It's not spelled that dissimilarly from peak. No, I would have said piquant, actually, not piquant. But... Right, so 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 piquant, piquant. Uh, I, it would have been like a... a I mean, it's I always clearly a word from wrong. French, and... In yeah. French, it would be pronounced piquant. I fart in their general direction. But then I say phage and not phage, so what do I know? Right, 
Well, you say phage, and Bologna says phage. They they pronounced it slightly differently. I'll take your word for it. It sounded like you said the same word twice. Well, she she pronounced it phage, and the surgeon pronounced it phage. Ah, yes, yeah. And we've had this com- we had this conversation. Yes, when we talked about the episode phage. You mean phage, <laughs> right? Well, it depends on who you ask. You're asking me, and I say phage. Well, I say phage. It rhymes with mage. Well, I say phage. It rhymes with... (laughs) Name a word that it rhymes with. Banana. (laughs) Yes. There you go. It rhymes with banana. Orange. Orange. Silver. Purple. These are all... Silver and purple are also words that nothing rhymes with. Uh, That are incredibly difficult to rhyme with. Like, there's, like... they're, They're, like... I mean, like, outside of nurple, there's no, there aren't, like... <laughs> nurple is not actually right, a word. Right, that's the point. Like, there aren't any actual words that people actually use in actual sentences that rhyme with silver, purple, orange. There's a handful of other words, obviously. Yeah, yeah orange is the infamous one. That's why. Right. But you can, like, play with the syllables inside those words to, like, draw a rhyme out of them. Like, you, you like, like focus on the ver and silver, for example. Like, you, you focus on, like, the end syllable, uh, and you can kind of, like, coax some rhymes. If you actually know what you're doing, which I don't, I'm not going to attempt Yeah, because there are other words that end in ver, like quiver and shiver and... Uh, yeah, but but it, it, but the lead syllable also Sliver. matters. Yeah, but you could do like, like you could do like two words, like two short words that like kind of play with the syllables, like in the same way that silver does. Mm. Yeah, I, I'm not a rhymologist. Right, but if like think about like the two like the two words chill for. Ah, uh, okay. Uh, yeah, so if you could find a way to uh, like like you vary your pacing and you emphasize the syllables in a certain way, and you can convince a rhyme to happen i saw a video where um eminem like twisted rhymes to make them work with the word orange like the word i think it was like he made he made the word storage work with orange by just messing with the words well eminem has a bit of rhyming experience yes a little bit why don't they ever give the name of the klingon homeworld oh you mean in this episode why don't they in any of the stinking episodes, it's like every time I turn around, Balana's like, but you know, something, something, the Klingon homeworld. And it's not just her. Like, there's a lot of different, like, it seems like a, like a recurring thing on Star Trek that any given character is just going to, like, decide on a moment by moment basis whether or not they're actually going to name the Klingon homeworld. And this is not a thing that comes up with any other people. Like, like Tuvok at no point is like, you know, back on the Vulcan homeworld. Vulcan, but like, and I guess it's because of that. But it's like it's not like the humans go back on our home world unless, and they never say the Bajoran home world. They just say Bajor. Yeah, I get what you're saying. Yeah, I'm not gonna say like conclusively that it never happens because I'm sure there's gonna be like that one person who's gonna be like actually, and it's gonna be you. You're the gonna be the one to say it, but. <laughs> It doesn't come up nearly as frequently as it does with Klingons not saying the name of their stupid planet. I think part of this comes from 
The Klingon homeworld didn't actually have a name, unless you want to count Kling, which no I don't one does, count Kling. until Star Trek VI. Okay, that was a while ago. We've got... That was like, it was like four years before this, yeah. Uh, so, but because of that, they had already had a tradition of calling it the Klingon homeworld. And it's a lot of the same writing staff on Voyager as it was on TNG back then. Wait, hold on. Star Trek VI came out in 94? 91? Yeah. That's weird to think about. I know, right? I guess I hadn't realized how much like weird chronological overlap there was between the... Other interesting thing is half the sets on six were actually just... I'm sorry. Go ahead. My, no, it's gone. Like... NTSB is picking up the survivors of my train of thought that has crashed. Okay. Uh, the interesting thing with Star Trek VI, uh, because it was filmed in 91, midway through TNG, other than the bridge of the Enterprise A, mm-hmm. every other scene set on the Enterprise is a TNG set. Hmm. Like, the transporter room is the TNG transporter room. Funky. Yeah. I mean, that makes sense. It does. But it's, it's, it's weird to think about. Like, it's something that I didn't notice the first time I saw that movie way back when. But, like, the last time I rewatched it, partly because I knew this, I'm like, oh, yeah, look at that. And, like, the president's uh, office in mm-hmm. Paris is yeah. forward. Oh, really? <laughs> yes, with different lighting. Well, obviously different lighting and, like, the table's removed, but... <laughs> <laughs> and it's got, and I honestly, I think the reason they did that is because it has those doors with the windows and the Federation symbol in them. Mmm. Yeah. I mean, they're good doors. Yeah. They work well. But yeah, that's, uh, yeah, and the, the, the engineering of the Enterprise, well, that that's a complicated story, because engineering on the Enterprise D was te- is technically a redressed version of the engineering from Wrath of Khan. And then, of course, they just used that same set later for the Enterprise A. That's complicated. That's... <laughs> yeah. uh, they used the same sick base set for everything, starting with Star Trek The Motion Picture in 1979, through all the TOS movies, TNG, Voyager, and the TNG movies. It's always the same sick bay. Yeah, obviously they move things around, but yes, it's the same sick bay. Neat. Yeah. Huh. So that sick bay got 30 years of use out of it. Nice. Well, not quite 30, 25. So my my final thought on this episode mm-hmm. is you know, Belana had made the comment that she's going to be fighting with uh, her Klingon side forever. Uh, I wonder if she's going to view her, her Klingon side as, like, a lesser demon side of human Balana, or, like, the greater angel of actual full-blown Balana. It just seems... I, I, and maybe it's because I have no common frame of reference. I'm white. My parents are white. You know, you go way back, back in the route. My entire family is from some place in Europe. Right. But... It just feels weird to me that this concept of, like, warring, of two halves of your ancestry warring against each other inside you. That that whole concept, like, it, I guess it's because I have no frame of reference. It just, 
I don't get it. It feels like, yes, she's part Klingon, she's part human, but it's not like there would be a literal Klingon and a human, except in this episode, arguing with each other. They would be merged together into one thing. Uh, right, and I don't, I don't think that she was pre-separation hearing like a Klingon voice in her head well, telling no, her to do obviously. things. But, and I don't have a ton of experience with this, and I think that you have less. It's not just about ancestry differences. I'm pretty white going all the way back as well. Uh, but, like, a good example might be background. Uh, like getting into the nurture side of things, which in this, it wouldn't be Belana's thing. Like, in this case, it would be, like, the two halves of her nature kind of in conflict. Mm-hmm. But, if you think of it from, like, a nurture perspective, take the girl out of the trailer park, we can't take the trailer park out of the girl. And it's, uh, they almost always use a girl, which is why I did in this instance. Right, yeah. Um, you know, take the, you know, take the country out, you know, you can take the boy out of the country, but you can't take the country out of the boy. You have this person who, like, earlier today we had this work meeting, and we had these high-ups coming to visit us, and one of them, well, actually both of them, like two of the guys who are doing the speaking, one of them grew up in a small town in West Virginia with 2,000 people, and now he is Chief Operations Officer North America for a major logistics company. The other guy grew up in the, like, the slums of Bangladesh, which then, because of, I can't remember if it was a natural disaster or like a like some sort of a conflict uh was effective was effectively like a refugee for a while separated from his parents as a kid for six months Mm -hmm. and now he's like a vp of this company but you have to imagine that both of them at a certain point have to sort of like pause and like think about where they came from and the situation they're in at this moment and wonder whether it's is this like you know like oh i really want to like do something, whatever it might be. Like, like maybe they come from like a rough and tumble background. Oh, I just really want to pop this guy in the face, but I'm like, I'm like, it's supposed to be in a civilized like situation right now. So you, you're fighting with like your your instincts because of the situation you, that you're in. So I, I look at it that way for Bolano, where it's like fighting with her desire to just like bullhead her way through problems. Whether through like actual violence or just saying, you know, no, screw this. The captain's wrong. I'm going to go steal that trajector and plug it into this conveniently shaped port that's just right here and almost blow up the ship. Yeah, but I won't make up, I won't make up a time on how long it'll take me. <laughs> right. But then, you know, but then coming clean, that's her human side. Yeah. I don't know. I, I, I really like Bolana, uh, but. It just this particular, this whole the whole human versus Klingon part is a big important part of her. It's just not something that I can fully grasp. Hmm. It, it but that's probably more on me than it is on the writers. Fair enough. So, I think that's more or less everything I wanted to talk about. Oh, Ayala was in this one and gets yes, name checked. Yes, he did. Ben will be happy. Yeah. And now I definitely know what this person looks like until the next time that I forget what this person looks like. <laughs> yes. Yeah, no, I did want to mention Ayala, but I forgot. Yeah. The last note that I have was when they were talking about, like, the micro fissures in the, uh, like, reconfiguring force field or whatever. 
And Janeway's asking them, well, how small are the micro fissures? And I'm just thinking ahead to Paris saying, 30 centimeters? Hmm. That's practically microscopic. Oh, there was something else I want to talk about. It did just seem very rushed at the end there. They beam back to the ship, and the doctor's like, yep, we gotta... I gotta do some gene therapy and make you half Klingon again. Like, yeah. starters, that's just, like, that's the end of the episode. They resolve they're just gonna merge dead Bolana, dead Klingon Bolana back with live human Bolana. And also, it feels like that's a super complicated thing to do. Yes. And painful. Yeah. Since she'll have to, like, regrow the, like, the forehead ridges. Yes. And whatever else parts of her anatomy are different between humans and Klingons. Because it had been a while since I had seen this episode, I thought they were going to kidnap the, the, the Dean Durst the, and have him I, do it. I thought I thought that's how it was going to get resolved, because, like, obviously I know that she's going to go back to the Bolana that we know. Right. Having seen later episodes of Voyager. <laughs> yes. <laughs> since this is episode 14, and I've seen episode 15 and up. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. So that that just seemed it felt a little bit like it fell apart there. But we'll see how it all comes back together on episode 15, Jatrell, which we'll be talking about next week. Yeah, uh I'm looking forward to next week. Uh that next week will include a veteran Star Trek guest star. So we have that to look forward to. Okay, well I look forward to finding out about this special guest star. I don't know who they are, I'm guessing. You probably don't. Shucks. It's James Saloyan. Ah, I love James Saloyan. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Thanks for listening this week. If you enjoyed this, you should also check out our other podcast, Stargate Weekly. You can find and review both on your podcast player of choice, and you can also reach us at our email address, deltaflyerpod at gmail.com. You can find me on Twitter at Tyrannicus. And you can find me on Twitter at Gamicus. And you can find the show on Twitter at Delta Flyer Pod. And that's our show. Yeah. Like people say that the word orange doesn't rhyme with anything. And that kind of pisses me off because I can think of a lot of things that rhyme with orange. What rhymes with orange? You could say like, uh, I put my orange, four inch door hinge in storage and ate porridge with George. <laughs> You just have to figure out the the science to breaking down words.